How do you support students through the process of getting them comfortable when it comes to speaking in the target language? On today's episode, I speak with Jamie Rodriguez. Now, she's a Spanish teacher in Connecticut, and she's going to talk us through using guided conversations to get students to that place of using the target language to speak not only comfortably, but confidently. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and thank you for being here. I always like to point out and remind you you're an incredible educator because you're listening to a podcast about language teaching. Who does that? You do because you're awesome. I love to point that out. So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about guided conversations. And this is a bit of a new topic to me. So I love when I'm able to talk to a teacher who's doing something in the classroom that I can really learn a lot about along with you because that means means that I get to ask all the questions about actually doing it in my classroom, which will end up being helpful for all of you that will be trying to implement this as well. So to help us today, we are going to be talking with Jamie Rodriguez, and she is a Spanish teacher in Connecticut, and she has been at the Spanish teacher game for 24 years, and I love hearing these over 20-year teacher marks with their teaching with people leaving the profession and it's hard to find teachers right now and just talking with teachers that are in it for the long game and staying at it and loving it. So I'm absolutely appreciating that. And uh, Jamie has a website called specialtyspanish.com and she does a lot of posts about basic language teaching, but also with a focus on more upper level. And her own classes are level three and above. She's involved with teaching her AP program, and she is also involved with a sort of a, a language program that is part of UConn that happens in her school. I'll let her talk a little bit about that. But a lot of times here on the podcast, we talk about CI, and it ends up being in that novice level. And there's a lot of that. And I'm appreciating this opportunity today to speak with Jamie, who is at those level three, four, and AP levels that can help us to navigate that experience as a teacher as well. So, Jamie, I hope I did you justice with talking about everything you're doing and have to offer. And welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Thank you. It's really great to be here. So could you make sure that we have an understanding of what that relationship your upper level classes have with UConn at the University of Connecticut in your state? In my AP class, a few years ago, we partnered with UConn to have an ECE, which stands for Early College Experience. And so the students that are in that year five class have two different ways that they could earn college credit the AP way where they sign up to take the test in May, or they can also sign up through the University of Connecticut and they 
end up taking two semester long courses, each of which are worth three credits. And they earn credit based on the grades that they earn for each semester grade. And how does the curriculum compare? Like if they do that version, the AP, what's what's that relationship like? That was a little challenging for me the first year. I find that for the AP test, there's a lot of test prep that has to happen because especially with the open-ended responses on the AP test, there's specific things that the graders or the scorers are looking for. For example, on the email reply, you have to ask follow-up questions. And if you forget to do that, it really knocks your score. So with the students who are taking the AP test, we practice a lot to get all of those little things that they're supposed to be doing second nature so they don't forget. But the students who are taking the UConn ECE course don't need to do any of those things in order to earn their credit. And I was struggling that first year to figure out how to not have students that don't need to spend a lot of time on test prep, what do they do instead? But as far as the curriculum, you get to create your own syllabus for both AP and for UConn under some guidelines. And I just, you know, had the opportunity over the summer to do curriculum writing and I just married the two. So I used the six themes that are required for AP Spanish, which are extremely broad, and I just made them into two semester types of things. And we do a lot of conversation, writing, um, and it's great. I was looking at your your blog and the types of posts that you have on there, and you have some that are specific about doing things like the email response. Mm -hmm. You know, so if teachers are teaching AP and that resonates with you to say, oh, these are particular things that you need to prepare for for the AP exam, you should all head over to SpecialtySpanish.com and you will see some really helpful and detailed posts that Jamie has provided to help you with navigating those very parts of the AP exam. So thank you for mentioning that because I wasn't thinking of it. And you said that I was like, oh, I know you have a post about that. So that's great. So speaking of the tools that you are providing for teachers in the classroom, we're going to talk about this idea of guided conversations today. In the event that this is a new concept, let's make sure that we all understand what it is. So can you tell us about what guided conversations are in the classroom and what's the benefit of doing them with students? I I kind of invented, well, at least I think I did, um, (laughs) this term, a guided conversation. Maybe other people use it too, but one of the biggest stumbling blocks for my students when doing interpersonal communication is that they just don't know what else to say or what else to ask. And it seems like when students are working really hard in their brains to find the vocabulary they need to express themselves, something else gets lowered. And that often is their creativity. So I design guided conversations, which are a guide that is as vague as possible, but that tells them what to do next so they can keep the conversation going. Mm -hmm. They always have a theme. For example, it might say at the top, you and your friend are going on a shopping trip. So they have a vague idea of what the conversation is about, which is very similar to the simulated conversation task on the AP test. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the conversation, it tells you person A, ask an introductory question and person B, answer the question and ask a follow up question. Mm -hmm. So it guides them as to how they can continue the conversation without telling them exactly what they need to say. So they're providing the the content that follows the guide. Yes. Yeah. I often find that with speaking prompts or writing prompts in our language classrooms, we're often asking students to be creative writers. 
And it's sort of, is this a creative writing class? Because the the prompts, if they're more specific, then it's actually more helpful. And it sounds like this is kind of responding to that. Because how many times can we say, what did you do this weekend? Right. <laughs> right. So uh, let's look at the actual implementation of making this happen in the classroom. And can you share some strategies or tips for creating these like effective and engaging guiding conversations? And also in a, in a way that also connects them to the curriculum, right? Because they're not just, you know, a one-off. So what are some tips and strategies that, you know, your pro tips with these? Okay, so my pro tips. First, try to make the conversation topics as relevant to teenagers' lives as they can be. I was using that example of shopping before because almost all teenagers go shopping, especially for clothes or shoes or something like that. And you can have a conversation about that because it's something that teenagers would actually talk about. So that's helpful. Another thing is you want to make sure that you are aware of where your student's proficiency level is. And as you design the things that you want them to do in that guide, make sure that they're at the level of what where your students are. For example, if you're using the ACTFL standards, intermediate low is when they start to describe. So you could ask them in the guide, describe something you bought, but maybe that wouldn't be the best thing to do in a novice level conversation because they're still, you know, kind of one sentence. We're looking for one complete sentence per answer, and that's, you know, challenging enough for a novice high. Mm -hmm. So making sure you're asking them to do tasks that are appropriate for their level is another good hint. So the prompt that you're providing in the guide is connected to the text type. Correct. Right. And then another tip is to make them relevant to what it is that they're going to be assessed on next. Our district has units, you know, themes. Mm -hmm. So we have a shopping theme, we have a food and restaurant theme, we have a family theme. And so Mm -hmm. if you make your conversations related to those things, I find that that really boosts students' confidence and willingness to participate in the conversation because you're sticking to a conversation topic that they are somewhat familiar with. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about guided conversations is because you're not telling them exactly what to say, what students come up with for their answers is can change every single time or by Mm -hmm. person to person. And therefore they're still creating with language, but you're scaffolding it just a bit to make it more comfortable for them because they're more or less going to be staying within either a topic they're familiar with or perhaps timeframes that they're familiar with. And that's that can be designed by the teacher. Speaking about the proficiency levels and making sure that that's in there, in terms of like the length of time that you would devote to one pair of students, or maybe you could do it in a triad. I'm, I'm assuming it's two students, but maybe more. So if they are an intermediate low or intermediate mid, and they're Mm -hmm. doing this guided conversation, sort of how much time on task are you thinking? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, is this a minute they're doing this for? Is it five minutes? So what what does that length of time on task look like? Well, the conversation itself, um, probably five minutes or less. It all depends on the student's comfort level. And what I find really helpful is to have them do the same conversation more than once. 
And there's a million different ways you could do this. For example, you might have them have the same roles. Usually in the way that I design my conversations, person A is mainly the question asker and person B is mainly the question answerer. So you might have them do that conversation and then do it again to see if they can improve and have less stumbling. Then you might ask the students to switch roles. And so they both get a chance to ask the questions and answer the questions. And then you might have them switch partners because even though the guide of the conversation is the same, when you're working with someone else, their answers or questions will not be the same. And the more times you practice on a familiar topic, you know, I love asking my students, you know, I'll I'll stop and I say, okay, after the second conversation, who thinks they did a better job the second time? And if you use this for a whole class, by the fifth time, their confidence is really high and they feel so proud of themselves. And another thing I will often do is pause in between the conversations and have them either self-reflect or give feedback to their partner. This is what you did really well, but the next time we do a conversation, try to, and they're, they're great. They're, you know, I always worry about them not getting enough feedback. And when you have large classes in particular, you can't sit with every group of students and give your own feedback. Mm-hmm. But students, especially if they have a guide, you know, specific things that you're asking them to do, like a little rubric or something like that, they're very good at giving each other feedback. And so we were talking about the, the prompts earlier that are connected to the text type. So if it is, say, an intermediate mid-class that is doing this and a group that are at that intermediate mid-level, so if you simply say something like, say three things you did last weekend, and Mm -hmm. so that right there is putting it in the past tense. Correct. Without saying, use the past tense. And so that my next question then is, is the guide in the target language or is it in the common language of students in the classroom? Well, that's a great question, and it can be done either way. In my year three classes, I put the guide in the common language, which is usually English. Doing that cuts down on the amount of time they spend interpreting what it is they're supposed to do, and it makes the conversation flow better. There might be some arguments with different people on how they feel about that, but in AP Spanish, there's no reason why that guide can't be in the target language, Mm -hmm. as it is when they do the simulated conversation. Yeah, I think it comes down to, is the goal an interpersonal activity? And if that is the goal, then do you need an interpretive reading as part of that interpersonal? Where you said it kind of, it cuts out the that, that struggle to get to the interpersonal. Right, especially if they misunderstand what it is they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And if their partner does understand and they're looking at them and they just go, you know, especially if you've asked mm-hmm. them, try not to use English when you're in your conversation and they, mm-hmm. their eyes just get big and then it, it stops the conversation. I'm digging deep now because I want to try this. And Great. so so I guess, my concern with it and help me with this is when it's the guided conversation where ask this question, answer a question about where it seems to, in my mind, look like strict turn taking. I go, then you go. Is there a place for organic follow-up and spontaneous language within the guide? I'm sure there is. I just need to understand how it happens. The way they're written, there's not a specific spot for that. But I will say that my students continually, every single year, and this is maybe why I'm going back for year 24, they shock and surprise me with their creativity. Once they have that little bit of confidence, they do take it in their own direction, despite what my guide tells them to do. When I see that or hear that happening, I point it out to the rest of the class and I reward it in some way. 
and it encourages everybody else to do the same. Mm -hmm. And in some of my guides that I create, I have what's called the challenge conversation, which might be the stretch, the one that's a little bit above where their current proficiency level is, because there's always students that are ready for that or want to try. And that should always be encouraged. And so when it comes time for an interpersonal assessment, I'm looking at these guided conversations as more of a a formative activity along the way, moving up to the end of that unit. So when it comes time to the assessment, they are doing this more spontaneously without the guide there. So there's the there's the time for the spontaneity to come out, right? Right. Yeah. Although you could use another guide. I often have two or three versions of a a, converse, a guided conversation per unit. So maybe we use two of them as practice and the third mm-hmm. one might be the assessment. Again, it depends if they're student to student or if you are participating in the conversation with them. It, it It's much easier for the teacher to drive that spontaneity and ask those follow-up questions and things like that. Students are just especially when they're being graded, they get so nervous. When one area of their brain is completely lit up, something else gets lowered and it's almost always that creativity. So whatever I can do to help them keep creating with language. Do you ever involve yourself during the formative process of doing this? Do you involve yourself in one of the guided conversations with students? All the time. Mm -hmm. First, I like to model. And if I have a student in the class that may be a heritage speaker or someone that I know likes to be, you know, the the showboat of the class, we can model one to show students what it looks like. And because I like to do this in partners, if there's an odd number of students in the class, then I sit with one of the students. You had mentioned earlier about having the the pair switch roles so Mm. that there is it not always asking questions, but then they're answering them as well. Do you also then actually switch partners and have the conversation completely new with a new partner? And how many times would you do that switch? This is the beauty of guided conversations. You can do this so many ways. If you have 10 minutes, you can have one conversation and they switch roles and you might even have time to have them give each other feedback. If you want to make this into an entire period of lessons, you have one or two different conversations and I... I will line my students up in rows and then I tell them to scooch over so they're right next to each other and they can mm-hmm. hear each other better always because there's, I have big classes mm-hmm. and it's hard to hear when everyone's talking. Mm-hmm. But then I'll have everyone that's on the right side of their partner row goes back one seat and we do a rotation like that. So you mm-hmm. could do this for an entire period. Mm-hmm. And each time it's slightly different, but their confidence goes up every time mm-hmm. and their fluency goes up every time and their ideas, you know, when they have different partners and they're able to hear what questions or what answers other people come up with, it adds to their bucket of what they are also able to do with the language that they have. I'm thinking of ways to use this in my classroom. And I'm curious if you've tried this and this could be a total fail and I shouldn't do it, but I'm thinking <laughs> of having the same guided conversation and doing it sort of two or three days apart from each other. So sort of do it at the beginning of the unit where they probably won't be able to do it very well or they'll it'll be minimal, then do it three days into the unit and then close to the end of the unit where they could actually see their building language capacity and skill as they go through. Have you tried to space them out and see how that works? Yes, absolutely. Because The thing that my students hate the most is speaking. The ones that are not heritage or native speakers, they just get so incredibly anxious about it. And they, everyone thinks that they're terrible at it. 
But that is my absolute favorite thing to do is to point out, like, look what you can do now. Do you remember the first day of this unit when I asked you to do this? And they groan and moan. And I said, but now look, raise your hand if you've done better, you know, and, and everyone does. Right. And that's so important. I think we don't spend enough time celebrating the gains because mm-hmm. some of our students don't make the target we're looking for, but it doesn't mean that they haven't made gains. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we should focus more on that. I'd like to just hear your one of your favorite success stories about about using these guided conversations in the classroom. Maybe it's some sort of anecdote where you have really seen how this has positively influenced your students' skill level in Spanish. Okay, I have two. Okay. One of my students was very hesitant to participate in speaking, an anxious student, and having to speak in another language just just about sent them over the edge. And I find that with those students, making speaking a regular part of class is what helps to ease that anxiety. The first several times, it's a disaster. The, you know, the middle times, it's not great, but then it becomes a normalized part of class and it's just what we do. To hear that student tell me that they got a job at a local grocery store and that they regularly are attempting conversation with the Spanish-speaking patrons, it just melts my heart. I love that. You know, that's a real world application of what we're doing. And when students finally see that there is a real world application, and it's not just for these 43 minutes during Spanish class, it opens up a new world for them. And another thing that is becoming more important, and maybe also more controversial is the seal of biliteracy. Our district is really trying to help our students have the opportunity to earn the seal of biliteracy. And in our district, the one of the ways they can earn it is by passing the Apple test. Mm-hmm. And they need a score of intermediate three on all of the sections. And the one that's most difficult, typically, is the, it's called ILS, Integrated Listening and Speaking. And though they're not talking to another person, they watch a video of someone saying something, and then they have to respond. And our scores have been improving in that area because it's something that they're used to doing, thinking on their feet, being spontaneous. So that's really great. And so I have one last question about implementation is, can you tell us what the physical document looks like that students are referring to as they do these guided conversations? Sure. At the top, there's a title, Guided Conversation 1 with the theme underneath. Right underneath that, I give the scenario. Person A is a friend that has a problem with X, Y, or Z, and person B is is their friend giving them advice. And then there's a chart, and it's got like a white and followed by like a light gray so people can see person A, person B. Then the text is in there with what it is they're supposed to do to continue the conversation. So I'm assuming you have templates, which then makes this easy for you to just pull out and uh, just modify as needed. Of course, on my website, specialtyspanish.com, I have a free resource library and there's a template there. And I also have um, a free guided conversation if anybody is interested in using it. The theme is family. And that's a great one to start with no matter what year you're, you have, because even if you're an upper Spanish, you know, year three or above, those students have that vocabulary. And sometimes it's nice to start with a super familiar topic to build confidence. So many great recommendations in there about how to do this. I'm excited to try it out. That's why I had all these questions about how am I going to actually do this in two weeks when I'm back in the classroom. Uh, So are there some recommendations you might have uh, for teachers that maybe it's something that's continued to inspire you, where you're looking to, that you would recommend to other teachers? 
This is not world language specific, but one of the life-changing books of my recent time is Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. You know, it's interesting as language teachers, we, we focus automatically on some cultures, but not all. And the students sitting in front of us, you know, we have to reach all of them. And so learning some of the techniques that Zaretta Hammond points out in her book, I, I go back to it and I always am like, I already read this and there's things in there I didn't pick up the first time through. So I, I come back to it every year. Yes, that's a phenomenal book, and it's so well-researched. So thank you for for bringing that up. There are times when uh, I will walk into a teacher's classroom, and I'll see something on the wall, and I'll say, you read Zerina Hammond's (laughs) book. There's like the tree. There's all these images of things that she has up there. So absolutely. So we already mentioned that your blog is SpecialtySpanish.com, where our listeners can go and see some examples of guided conversations and all those other things. But are there other ways to be connecting with you on social media or email? Sure. Um, I have an Instagram account called Specialty Spanish and a Facebook page called Specialty Spanish. And my email is contactspecialtyspanish at gmail.com. I would love to hear from people. I always like to leave our listeners with some hearty advice uh, before saying our goodbyes as they go into their classroom. So any advice you can leave with us about guided conversations or just anything in general? I think this advice is probably more general. Mm -hmm. But my advice is to reflect. I think we should always reflect on what we're doing. I feel like in my 23 completed years of teaching, I've realized that there is no silver bullet. That's like the fast and easy way that we're going to teach our students a new language. Having a supportive and skilled teacher can make that language learning process go faster. But it also takes a lot of time and a lot of dedication from the learner. And so asking our students what is helpful for them and asking ourselves and our colleagues if what we're doing in our professional development and our curriculum is meeting our student needs, always reflect on what we're doing and and check in to see if if what we're doing is meeting what our goal is. Thank you so much for that great reminder there about, you know, supporting each other and what we're doing in the classroom. So this has been delightful, Jamie. Thank you so much for everything that you shared today. I know that teachers listening have a really concrete strategy that they can be using in the classroom, and they love to have those. I know I'm going to try it out for sure. So thank you very much. You're welcome. It makes me really happy to know that. What are your takeaways from that conversation with Jamie Rodriguez? I'm going to try out a guided conversation for sure with my students, and I hope that you will too. Be sure to check out the show notes to connect with Jamie. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. There are also links to get in touch with me if you'd like to work together, either in person in your school or remotely. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so that you never miss an episode. Let's keep the conversation going on social media. Connect with me on X, aka Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at WL Classroom. And for even more valuable resources, visit my website, wlclassroom.com, where you'll find over 300 blog posts about language teaching. So stay inspired, keep growing, and continue making a difference in your language classroom. 